Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including eBooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books and Political Science podcast. My name is Heath Brown. Today I'll be talking to the author of Plutocracy in America, How Increasing Inequality Destroys the Middle Class and Exploits the Poor. The book is published by Johns Hopkins University Press, and my guest is the author, Ronald Formisano. I hope that you really enjoy this interview that I did with Ron. Welcome back to the podcast. Again, my name is Heath Brown, and I have the real pleasure to talk to the author of Plutocracy in America, How Increasing Inequality Destroys the Middle Class and Exploits the Poor. The author of the book is Ronald Formisano. Ron, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thank you, Heath. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on. Pleasure to have read the book. Before we get to it, maybe you can tell us just a little bit about yourself, what what your background is. Well, most of my career, I have published books in political history. And I've ranged from the early republic to busing in Boston. Uh, I've also published a book about lobster fishermen in Maine. So uh, I've I've dabbled here and there. But after writing a book on the Tea Party, published in 2012, I really began to get interested in contemporary affairs and the crushing problem of inequality in one of the most prosperous countries in the world just grabbed me, and I decided I needed to write about it. Yeah, and your your writing, um, your your passion for the subject shined through the writing in such clear ways. It seems like um, this was a a book that you um, took um, very much to heart. And and let's just talk about the title at first. Uh, You described the country as a plutocracy. Um, In simple terms, how do you define a plutocracy, and, and how in your mind does this differ from, well, of course, a democracy, but also even an oligarchy? So tell us, what, what to you is a plutocracy? Well, you know, nothing is ever pure or, hom- or homogen- homogenous. And so plutocracy in America really refers to, I think, a tipping point. And my book argues strongly, uh, in contrast to some other books that makes the point that, well, we're on our way. I think we've tipped to more of a plutocracy than a representative government. Now, there are saving graces along the way, and Obama has tried to cut into it. Specifically, I mean rule by the very wealthy who get their way, uh, a finance industry that now accounts for an enormous uh, amount of the gross uh, domestic product. And... and, uh, Corporations that, again, through thousands of lobbyists, get their way. Um, 
In fact, I would describe lobbyists as the fourth branch of government. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's interesting. We just, a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, had Tom Holyoke talking about the ethical lobbyist. Uh, a conversation between the two of you, I think, would be very interesting. His argument about what it would mean for lobbying to take seriously uh, uh, ethics and, and ethical principles. Your book is also a lot about inequality, as, as you just mentioned. I wonder which forms of inequality seem to matter most to the story that you tell in this book. When I started this uh, book, uh, fully intending to plumb inequality as much as I could and cast as wide a net, I did not realize the extent to which the almost what I call the hidden infrastructure of inequality along with the very obvious uh, inequalities that are, are recognized in the media on a almost, let alone weekly, uh, daily basis. And it's, it's, just, it's just mind-boggling. Um, and to give you an example, let's say we raise the minimum wage, which is, is, is going to lift some people out of poverty, but they'll still probably need to go back and forth uh, to some government assistance, which, of course, the welfare queens, Walmart and McDonald's uh, count on. What then do you do, and I deal with this in my book, what do you do with the predators? The predators like payday loans, uh, tax preparation. Uh, some states have tried to regulate them, some a little bit successfully, some unsuccessfully. Uh, according to a book by Gary Rivlin, Broke USA, the predators which he calls the poverty industry, take about 26 to 30 billion out of the pockets of low-income people every year. So you raise the minimum wage. He also refers to, uh, he estimates that uh, uh, someone, uh, an individual or a family making 25,000 a year, they pay basically a 15% tax uh, because of the way they're preyed upon by uh, auto title loans, uh, layaway plans, uh, and they're constantly in, in inventing new ways to prey upon the poor. And so it's that interconnectedness that we don't see all the time. Now, you're a historian by training, and you've written, as you mentioned earlier, about the, the founding period. I wonder what aspects of our current situation you think the founders would be most surprised by, or, or perhaps even most bothered by oh i think i think they'd be bothered by uh, the lobbyists uh, i think they'd be bothered by the degree of inequality you know the founders can come in for a lot of criticism because they accepted slavery uh, we know all the ways that they excluded other people uh, women uh, people of color uh, they weren't even some of them crazy about uh, the lower orders as they put it of, of white men participating. But if you take someone like Madison, Madison really believed in inclusiveness. And I think both he and Jefferson in particular, and I think some of the other founders as well, expected that over time, uh, the, 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 the principle of equality would become more inclusive. But here's the key point. They always looked back to Europe. Some of them, whenever they went to Europe, John Quincy Adams in Europe, Thomas Jefferson in Europe. They love the culture. They love the music. They love the, but they come away thinking 
that's not our country. There are extremes of wealth here. There are people in poverty and misery, and we don't want that in our country. And we have that. We have that. We have poverty to an extent uh, that outweighs almost every other advanced economy and most of the 34 countries in the Organization of Economic Cooperation and Development. Now, you mentioned earlier, and we, we've talked about this even before we started recording, about some of your writing about the Tea Party. I wonder if you can sort of fold that into this, this conversation, because a lot of what you're talking about are, are the deep structures that, that some people throw up their hands and say, you know, th- this is just the system that we have, and it goes so deep that there isn't much that can be done. But you've written uh, about the, you know, the everyday politics of the Tea Party and, and thought about that and written about that in this book as well. Right. So how, how, how are the, our elected officials and legislators involved in, in some of the, the misdeeds that you describe in the book? Oh, are they ever? Uh, take the for-profits, which uh, the Obama administration, uh, to its credit, has tried to do something about. The, for, the for-profit college industry is basically a debt factory for veterans and low-income students. And there's been studies by this by Senate committees, uh, uh, Claudia Golden, uh, the well-known economist at Harvard, others have done uh, numerous studies on uh, just how these for-profit colleges, uh, for the most part, there there might be a handful of ones that are halfway decent, but for the most part, they really entrap. And, and unfortunately, the Republicans, uh, during the Reagan administration, uh, really were down on for-profit colleges. But the uh, Congress is now, the Republican Congress is their great protector, and some of the individuals in Congress and in government are profiting from them. Uh, and so they, they, they don't do anything about it. Uh, I think they're enmeshed uh, in many ways uh, in, in some of the ways that the poor are exploited. And of course, they don't, they don't do anything to make the, uh, the tax system more progressive. Uh, and at the state level, uh, they certainly do anything to make tax systems uh, more progressive. Uh, not, the, every year, the Institute for uh, Tax and Economic Policy does an analysis of who's paying. And it's amazing. In 49 states, because of sales taxes, lack of progressivity, low-income people actually, and, and the next, the first and second fifths of the income distribution actually pay more in taxes when you take sales taxes into account than the upper fifth does. Now that's, you know, that's just part of that hidden infrastructure that they're not going to do anything about. Now, the book isn't primarily about making uh, recommendations. This is not a, um, you know, you're not a working for a think tank, but you do include um, towards the end of the book, uh, it seems some of the things that you think might uh, right the ship, if you have, if you would have. Right. What are the things that stick out to you um, as, as things that, that um, should be done or, or could be done to, to change uh, from a plutocracy to something Different back to a democracy if if there uh, there could be such a, a suggestion sure. made. Sure. Well, what yeah, could be I'm done? Not, yeah, I'm hardly original on this because uh, these uh, cries for change 
come come from a number of of sources, some of whom are are, are more knowledgeable than I am uh, about how how some of these things work. But first of all, a, a, a government committed to full employment, and we are now we now have a shrinking labor force. We have a shrinking middle class. We have one of the lowest paid labor forces among advanced countries. Secondly, reform of the tax system, uh, both at the state and federal level. And then it's hard to say, it's hard to prioritize uh, two and three, getting money out of politics uh, and somehow uh, overturning the incredibly poisonous effects of Citizen United and then the follow-up McCutcheon, which is as we can see, allowing uh, billionaires really to dictate um, what what's going on in our elections. And so are you those hopeful? Three things, uh, yeah, those are the three things I would I would I would emphasize. But but it, how many how many how many <laughs> progressive people do you say we need a government committed to full employment? I think that's number one, full employment. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I've enjoyed the book, and and uh, you know, I, I uh, we've had others on on the the podcast before that have talked about some similar issues, and I think you've done so in just such an interesting way. Uh, before we started today, you mentioned your next project. Could right. you give us a little bit of a uh, a preview on what you're working on now? <laughs> well, it's a secret even from my wife. Uh, Aha. And some, yeah. Well, if you'll allow me to be just a little uh, uh, humorous here, I hope it's funny. Uh, I, I haven't been telling anybody about it because I said I want to see plutocracy in America in my hands before I talk about the next one. And now I'm kind of hesitating because I remember that old Peggy Lee song, Is That All There Is? And so mm-hmm. if I finally start telling my family and friends exactly what I'm working on, I'll tell you this. It's very much a muckraking exercise uh, perhaps not as passionate as plutocracy in America, but it really focuses on the political class and it focuses on what I just said, what we said at the outset, that uh, the political class is too much into governance for themselves and for the their relations and those that they serve, which is generally not the public. Now, there are exceptions. You know, you have Elizabeth Warrens. You have uh, uh, some very, very progressive people. I think I think there are Republicans and I think there are people in the Tea Party that would like to see uh, a big change. Uh, but I have to say the, a big disappointment for me with the Tea Party is how Little they seem to care about what corporations get away with. Well, you you um, have to promise us only one thing about the new project, the secret new project, which right. is that you come back on the podcast when it's finished and share with us what, what you have discovered, what you have found, what you are arguing, so that we can have a follow-up to plutocracy in America, how increasing inequality destroys the middle class and exploits the poor, published by Johns Hopkins University Press this year and available widely. Ron Formisano, thank you very much for your time today. You're welcome, Heath, and I promise to do that.